Welcome to Episode 6 of the FarmExec Podcast. I'm Michelle Mescali, Senior Editor of FarmExec Magazine. And I'm Kristen Harm, Associate Editor of FarmExec Magazine. For those of you joining us for the first time, Pharmaceutical Executive Magazine is a multimedia publishing brand that brings you the latest commercial insights for the C-suite. So Kristen, what are we talking about on this episode? This week we have Lara Sullivan. She's the founder and president of Springworks Therapeutics, and she's on with us today. Um, Michelle, I believe that you interviewed her for your article in our issue, which was focusing on talent. I did. I spoke with Lara about uh, jumping from traditional, you know, big pharma to a biotech, and what made her stand out was the fact that while she was working at Pfizer, she was pulled into work on this unknown project. They didn't know what the result was going to be. And as you'll hear on the podcast, out of that project, Springworks Therapeutics was actually formed. Something that I also found really fascinating during her interview was her take on the difference between big pharma and startups or, you know, biotechs and what skills it takes to succeed in each of them. Yeah, totally. I thought that was really interesting, too. Because of her background, she was a medical doctor turned consultant turned, you know, big pharma or legacy pharma turned biotech. She was able to speak a lot about what it takes for a person to thrive in each environment and give some fantastic career advice for those listeners who are thinking of maybe making the jump or maybe going either way, big pharma to biotech, biotech to big pharma, and what it could mean for them. Yeah, she was definitely a good choice to have on the podcast. (laughs) We're going to play her interview uh, once we get back from the quick break. Join Pharmaceutical Executive in its 10th year of honoring up-and-coming professionals who are vital to the future of the pharmaceutical and biotech industry. Nominate yourself or a colleague for PharmExec's 2018 Emerging Pharma Executive Program. Find all the details on our website at pharmexec.com slash leaders2018. Lara Sullivan, president and founder of Springworks Therapeutics on the podcast. Hi, Lara. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Michelle, you recently spoke with Lara for your April article, right? I did. So, Lara, why don't you set the stage for us and briefly tell us a little bit about your professional background and Springworks? Sure. As you just mentioned, I'm the president and founder of Springworks Therapeutics, which is a biotech startup based in New York City. We spun out of Pfizer in uh, September of 2017. I hold an MD and an MBA, and I spent six years at Pfizer, the first four working in the R&D organization where I led the strategy and portfolio team for the global R&D. And then I moved over to work with Pfizer's chief medical officer um, for the last two years on a special project. Before I joined Pfizer, I spent several years in management consulting, focusing on pharmaceutical companies and uh, biotech strategic and operational type of projects. And I also spent a couple of years in healthcare finance and private equity. So while you were at Pfizer, you had an interesting thing happen to you. You were pulled into work on a pretty big project. Can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah. The the special project that I spent the last two years at Pfizer working on was convened with a remit to figure out a way to advance promising science 
where um, there were the patient populations were unserved or underserved, and where those projects did not have a path forward within Pfizer. So as large as, as Pfizer is, it still just cannot fund every scientific project. And sometimes there's promising programs where there's just simply not enough resources available to allow them to go forward. So we basically said at Pfizer, you know, it doesn't mean that there's anything necessarily wrong with that scientific program. Rather, sometimes you just see that the science moves in a different direction um, than initially envisioned, and perhaps it's in an area that's no longer strategic for Pfizer, or sometimes it's just simply not the right program for Pfizer to fund. But for a variety of business reasons, those projects get stopped. And so our project, our special project, basically said, let's take the patient perspective and take a patient lens on this particular business challenge. And if we put ourselves in the patient's shoes, for them, it doesn't matter what the strategy of Pfizer or the innovator company is. They just know that there's good science that might be available to help them in their disease and that they would want to see those programs go forward. So we said, what if we could find a way to take those programs, working with those patient groups, and figure out alternative funding opportunities for them so those, those scientific programs could go forward. And sure enough, by taking this kind of more social or patient-centric approach to thinking about funding the programs, the scientific programs, we found that the ideal way to do this would be to set up a new company outside of Pfizer with dedicated funding specifically for these scientific projects. And that's how Springworks Therapeutics was born. I love that story. Uh, when you were telling it to me the first time when we spoke, I just found it interesting that this, you know, simple, not simple project, but this project that you worked on then all of a sudden ended up just becoming a whole brand new company. It's kind of crazy. When the idea came up to form this, you know, startup brand new company, I mean, that must have put you in a pretty interesting position. So what attracted you to the opportunity to go and work for this startup. You know, you're you're leaving the stability of what, you know, for these purposes, we're going to call legacy or big pharma. What made you decide that this is where I wanted my career to go? Yeah, it was, um, it was definitely, um, it, you know, an exciting choice to have and to have that kind of opportunity presented to either go with the startup or, you know, stay at Pfizer and figure out a way to either support the, the startup um, from the Pfizer side or, you know, to find another role within Pfizer. So for me, I think the opportunity to um, build something from scratch with a number of like-minded people that were focusing on patient needs, um, were excited about the science, and had perspectives from their own biotech or big pharma experiences that, that they could bring to bear was just the combination of all of that was just kind of too exciting to pass up. And, you know, it felt to me like the team that we would be pulling together, which would source um, a talent from both pharma and from biotech, would bring kind of the best of our collective experiences to bear. Um, and so, the, really, the opportunity for all that was pretty, pretty intoxicating. And, of course, because Pfizer is a minority owner of the new company, we knew that the startup would have an ongoing relationship with Pfizer as well. So while we would be jumping into the biotech company, we would still be maintaining a connection to the mothership, if you will. 
And I guess the kind of the second sort of reason for me that this was a really exciting opportunity was um, having spent the two years working with Pfizer senior executives and colleagues from all across the company to conceive of the business model and envision it, the opportunity to actually be a part of it working in practice was just really something I, I couldn't uh, I couldn't say no to. So with those sort of kind of exciting opportunity, that exciting opportunity in front of me, I just uh, decided to, to make the leap. What have you found to be some of the most glaring differences between working in big pharma compared to a startup or the biotech? Yeah, I think the most um, the most glaring um, difference is that, you know, in a startup you have to be willing and able um, to jump from one functional discipline to another at the drop of a hat. Um, we're a small team, and we find ourselves doing a variety of things that wouldn't necessarily be found in our respective job descriptions. Um, you know, for example, our clinical operations lead, she designed and commissioned our business cards, um, you know, and it just turned out she had a pretty artistic flair for different shades of green and orange and, you know, the kind of schematic you'd put on a business card. And, I mean, it, you know, normally that might be something that you'd see um, an administrative colleague would handle, but um, we needed it done. Our ClinOps um, colleague jumped in and did it because it needed to be done. And so, you know, there's examples like that kind of um, that I could give on a daily basis of people pivoting into doing activities that would fall outside their normal job description. I think in pharma, because the jobs are fairly well-defined and you have very large matrixed organizations, um, you have to be careful sometimes about doing things outside of your functional discipline because there's probably somebody else or maybe multiple people already doing that other thing, and you might inadvertently create complexity or redundancy by doing that. And, you know, sometimes there's just organizational lines and boundaries that you need to be mindful of. So, I, you know, I think in some ways in a pharma, you can develop real deep functional knowledge and expertise. Um, whereas in a startup, you know, you've got you've got to have that you bring, you have to bring that to the table, but you also have to be comfortable jumping into areas that maybe you don't know anything about or doing things outside of your own job description. And in fact, the biotech environment demands it because you know we're often small and we need you know every bit of manpower from every person possible. So in talking about job descriptions, uh, when you're hiring someone for a role at ThingWorks. What specific types of qualities and talents are you really looking for that maybe you weren't looking for when you worked in Big Pharma? So obviously you're looking for somebody who maybe is a little bit of a jack-of-all-trades, I guess. Yeah, I think that's a great place to start is jack-of-all-trades. Um, I think the flexibility and adaptability and bias to action just take on a whole additional level of necessity in a biotech, I mean, I, I guess at, at face value, probably job descriptions might look similar for a functional job in a pharma as in a biotech, but I think the depth that somebody brings in some of these sort of attributes in a biotech becomes that much more critical. You know, a strong work ethic. I mean, we all want that whatever environment we're in, but, you know, when you're counting on six people or eight people or ten people, if one or two people aren't really bringing that to the table, you know, you're down 10 to 20% of your manpower. 
Whereas in a 80,000 person organization, if one or two people are mishired with an insufficient work ethic, you know, the system is not going to suffer. So I think these things could take a greater, um, take on a greater sense of urgency. I would say for us, another thing is the passion and the commitment to the mission. And, you know, as I mentioned at the beginning, a big part of our conception of Springworks was around this patient sort of focused approach to drug development, really figuring out where if we don't jump in to help support these patient populations, those scientific programs might get stuck. And so these patients really need us to be doing that. And so that means for all of us in Springworks, whether it's a business development colleague who's thinking about new indications for one of our programs or whether it's somebody on the scientific team, that we're constantly putting ourselves in the shoes of the patients and um, making sure that we are really doing everything we possibly can to support that patient population. And again, that's, I think, a common goal amongst pharma and biotech. I just think in the smaller environment, we really have to live and breathe that every second of every day because it's, it's really part of our survival. It's part of what we were funded to do. And then, of course, kind of some fundamental characteristics that we'd all want to see in our colleagues um, being smart, having a bias towards, you know, learning new things, and um, maybe, you know, maybe even a bit more of a thick skin in a small environment where, you know, communication can go quickly and, you know, if somebody's making a mistake, we've got to kind of call it out immediately. So th those would be sort of the, the sets of things that I think kind of sum up what, what we've been looking for as we've been building out a team. So we touched on this previously before a little bit um, about why you moved over um, to Springworks. And in my article, talking to so many people who did similar things, um, there really wasn't so much of a talent grab that we thought when we first kind of set out to look into this as we thought about. You know, we thought really that there was a talent grab going from big pharma to startups and that recruiters were really trying to, like, pull people in. But instead, um, at least for me, after talking to so many people who made the leap, there seemed like there was just something a little bit deeper in their character or personal career goals that really drove them to want to be in more of a, a startup environment compared to a big pharma. What do you think about this, theory? Yeah, I, I think I think it, it makes a lot of sense that it can be difficult to make the leap from pharma um, to biotech and the reverse as well. Um, you know, it's not uncommon to see biotech talent that's acquired from big, that's acquired by big pharma to jump ship, you know, after the acquisition is complete and go on to another biotech. So I think this kind of speaks to sort of intrinsics that, that individuals might have in terms of their preferences of, of work environments where, you know, there's, there's colleagues and individuals that are very comfortable being those deep functional experts or specialists. And, um, you know, they know kind of what their career plan or path is likely to look like. Um, they know what their set of responsibilities is and, um, and they can kind of count on that. And I think a lot of those people thrive in large companies. Um, and then I think there's folks who can say, look, you know, I want the surprise of not knowing what's going to happen on a given day or, you know, if I'm the ClinOps person, am I spending truly all my day on ClinOps or am I jumping in to help on business or operational aspects elsewhere in the company? Um, and so I think some of it speaks to innate preferences. 
I think also in biotech and pharma, because so many um, people uh, have advanced degrees, PhDs or MDs, it's maybe a more mature industry in terms of the age of the population of people that work in these companies. And so oftentimes you find people that are more mature because they're older, they're more they have better self-knowledge, so they can kind of self-identify in the types of environments that they thrive in, which is probably why you see a little bit less fluidity maybe between the two than if, you know, the average age were 25, where people are more in an exploratory mode. Um, so I, I do think people tend to, over time, in these scientific industries, get a feel for the types of working environments that they thrive in and then kind of self-select. And then, you know, you, you do see people like us in Springworks and elsewhere that periodically make those leaps, of course. Before we let you go, I have two more questions, and they sort of go together, so I'm going to ask them to you at the same time. First, what advice do you have for our listeners who are thinking, listening to this, and they're thinking, oh, maybe a startup or a biotech environment, that kind of sounds like it might be a good match, you know, for me, uh, especially after what you just said about knowing about, you know, what environment you work best in. Um, and then second, do you think it's important to have or maybe to just get some big pharma experience first before moving over to a, a startup or biotech environment? So I think in terms of the first question, um, you know, it, it, I, I probably do sound like a broken record when I talk to friends and mentees and colleagues is that um, I think for anyone considering a career change that, you know, knowing oneself, strengths, weaknesses, what kind of environment, um, you know, you feel most comfortable in and to do your best work in is so essential. And, and you know, I learned that the hard way in some of my earlier jobs where the work was fine and I was doing well at the work, but the environment just was not one that I was ex as excited about. You know, the finance field, for example, for me, I learned a lot but it just wasn't the right environment. Um, and so, you know, it, 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 it makes such a difference when you understand that about yourself, um, being able to say, you know what, I, I maybe am the kind of person that, you know, thrives on change. And while maybe I'm 10 years in at a big pharma, I like the idea of wearing different hats or every day being different. And, and so maybe I should explore a, a biotech opportunity. Um, you know, and conversely, saying, you know what, I actually really love the predictability. So maybe I'm exactly where I need to be in this in this uh, in this more defined career path. So, to me, it really does boil down to knowing one's um, oneself and one's environmental preferences. Because the fact is, the work is pretty much the same. I mean, you've got to develop a drug in a biotech environment through phase one, phase two, phase three, just like you have to do in big pharma. And if you're going to commercialize it, you're going to have to build sales and marketing in a biotech just as you do in pharma. So that part of the work is essentially the same. It's just the degree of, you know, functional expertise versus more utility player, I think, that, that differs. And so then for the second question in terms of whether – it's, you know, kind of critical to get big pharma experience before jumping to a biotech. You know, I think, I wouldn't say it's critical. I think it's, I think there's benefit for those that have grown up in pharma. I think there's definitely benefit, particularly on the R&D side of the house, where, you know, if you work in a global R&D organization, you truly can see what the best of the best looks like, whether it's regulatory, whether it's clinical operations, whether it's 
you know, chemistry. I mean, those organizations have, you know, the best resources and know how to develop and, and discover drugs. So I think you learn sort of what really good looks like. And so if you, if you learn that and observe that and then take it into the biotech environment, I think that's uh, very beneficial. I think, you know, conversely, there's plenty of folks whose stories are, you know, they did their PhDs or their postdocs, and then they ended up in a biotech from there as they started a company around their discoveries. And, you know, that's got a benefit to it, too, of self-learning, self-knowledge, figuring things out. And so, you know, I don't think it's absolutely essential. I think, I think either way, whichever direction you go, if you swap big pharma for biotech or biotech for big pharma, if you know yourself, if you understand the value you bring, if you understand the need that the company has and how you can serve it, and then ultimately if you're, you're really doing this for the benefit of the patients, whatever environment you're in, you'll be successful. That's been my observation uh, thus far. I think that's some really good insight, uh, and I think it's going to be really beneficial to our listeners. So, Lara, we want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule today to speak with us and our listeners, and we really appreciate it. Great. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks for having me. And now it's time for this week's leadership tip from Pharma Execs. Hi, I'm Lara Sullivan, and I'm the president and founder of Springworks Therapeutics, which is a biotech that spun out of Pfizer in September of 2017. And the leadership tip I'd like to share with you today has to do with mentors and sponsors. And as I uh, reflected over my career in the past 20 some odd years, I would say the one of the most critical things for my ability to move from kind of one level to the next or one exciting opportunity to the next was the uh, unwavering support of a set of mentors and sponsors. And what I mean by that is that the mentors have been the folks that have been able to provide the off-the-record guidance and input around how to handle certain situations or how to address, you know, whatever political issues are going on in the workplace or what development skills I might be feeling, um, you know, insecure about that they could provide insight on how to address. The folks that you can kind of go to for advice, um, whereas the sponsors are the people that have the organizational clout or position to help create those opportunities for you. Um, sometimes those can be the same person, but in my experience, that's um, rare because you oftentimes don't necessarily want your sponsors to hear voice to your insecurities or your uncertainties or your angst. Um, and so your mentors can play that role for you at times. So I think it's important to not just assume that one person, one influential person is enough to help support you in your career, but rather ideally you'll have a roster um, of mentors that you can go to for advice and guidance. Um, and some may be the kind of people that are specialized in certain you know, business problems and others are more great at organizational dynamics and others are great at, you know, skill building and development path and career uh, career ladders and so forth. Um, and then to have those, you know, a sponsor or two that can help create those opportunities for you. So I think it's always important to kind of 
think about that as you're in a a new role or an existing role, who those people can be for you and to build and establish those relationships and to nurture them. Um, it's really important to nurture them. You don't want these people to only feel you're calling them when you actually need something from them. Thank you guys for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's Farm Exec podcast. We are always pleased to take you behind the headlines, provide expert tips from industry leaders, and give you an inside look at what the Farm Exec staff is working on. Remember that you can always find us on the web at farmexec.com, on Twitter at farmexec, or on Instagram at farmexecutive, and on YouTube. The views expressed on this podcast do not reflect the views of FarmExec, its parent company, or our advertisers. For editorial questions, please email editorial director lisa.henderson at ubm.com. And for sponsorship opportunities, please email group publisher Todd Baker at todd.baker at ubm.com.